Hi, everyone. Welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. In 2016, the San Diego Unified Port District chose developer One Highway One to reimagine the city's downtown waterfront. One Highway One came back with an amazing proposal to reshape 70 acres of prime waterfront real estate into a $1.2 billion project that has everything from hotels, business and education spaces, a beach, new tuna docks, parks, and more. Initially, developers said public money wouldn't be needed, but now the project has grown in size and scope, estimated to cost $3.6 billion, and developers now say they might need up to $550 million in public money. In this episode, you're going to hear a presentation from One Highway One developer Yudi Gaff-Gaffin, as well as supporters Julie Coker from the San Diego Tourism Authority, Carol Kim from the San Diego Building and Construction Trades Council, and Mark Cafferty from the San Diego Regional Development Corporation. You're also going to hear questions from the San Diego Union-Tribune editorial board about what the public might have to pay, the project's plan to address homelessness, and more. This conversation has been condensed and edited. You can find the full version online at sandiegouniontribune.com slash opinion. It's also on YouTube. Thanks for listening. When we were picked back in two, I should maybe back up a, a second because uh, I emigrated from, from South Africa where I was involved in the Cape Town waterfront, which has become one of the iconic waterfronts of the world. We were honored to have been picked as the project manager for North Embarcadero in the early 90s by the Alliance. And uh, it gave me my first real um, introduction to San Diego's waterfront. And it's an amazing pleasure to see the plans actually being implemented right now. Um, we, um, we then went on to do the LA waterfront, the San Pedro waterfront. and. When we had this opportunity to compete for the seaport, what we call Seaport San Diego, it was a dream come true for me personally. We've lived downtown for going on 20 years now. And this, uh, the idea to start becoming the developer, developing goals and visions for what I feel will be a really transformational project for San Diego, that's really not for me or us, it's really for the future generations. and. We coined this term, the quadruple bottom line, the four P's, three of them are mentioned here, but it's a project with purpose that's really focused on our ocean and the, the, the danger jeopardy that our ocean's in, uh, focused on people and building community, focused on the planet and educating the public in terms of what's going on in climate change, climate and developing an approach to climate action. And then a, a small P, which is profit. Obviously, the project has to make sense as we go forward. But I truly do believe that this project has the potential to set San Diego on a new trajectory and to set San Diego apart as we go forward. Um, when we won the project, we committed to these five core values. Um, we told the public and the port that a project of this scale is not Amazon Prime, it doesn't come in two days, and it will also uh, morph as we go forward. It's been six years, it's gone in the blink of an eye, but we've stayed true to these core values, which is honoring the water, creating a world-class destination, really focusing on mobility, on land and water for all, so that we make this easy to access, 
developing parks and plazas that we'll talk about, but really celebrate nature and ecology that's authentic to our region. We've divided the project into seven discrete blocks. Um, it really was um, an attempt to make the project truly resilient from a timing perspective, where we think of this as a new district for San Diego, where the public realm can get built first, and then each block follows in the right sequence based on economic cycles, uh, what makes sense in terms of logistics. But uh, just walking you through, Block G is really now primarily focused on our commercial fishing industry. We made a commitment to revitalize that industry, and we've been working with them over the past six years. The most current iteration will be unveiled on uh, next Tuesday, but that block is essentially set aside for commercial fishing. Moving on around, uh, Block F is our blue campus and our full service hotel. The building you see most to the north is really a combination of a world-class aquarium where we've teamed up with Scripps with Birch UCSD, a learning center, which is a partnership between San Diego Unified School District, uh, UCSD, and us as the developer. It'll create career pathways for kids into the blue economy, both blue collar and white collar. And then on top of that is our Blue Tech Innovation Center. So that building will really provide an opportunity to showcase scripts to bring kids into that conversation, but also have them do internships in the Blue Tech Innovation Center building. Moving on around, we have our full service uh, hotel. Um, our hospitality component is really a cornerstone for this project where we are really proposing to provide about seven different price points for hospitality with a major focus on affordable hospitality. So about 30% of our beds are going to be affordable beds um, in terms of a hostel and micro hotel. Moving on around, uh, Block A is our iconic tower, uh, which is going to not only become an attraction observation platform, restaurants, event centers in the in the top half of the of the of the building, but the lower half will also be a themed hotel. Moving on around, uh, Block B is our main reservoir for hospitality. It will house our hostel, micro hotel, select service and limited service uh, offerings, but also an indoor concert venue that we plan to partner with the Shell, the Rady Shell, which has been so successful, to offer a different quality or style of, uh, of venue and performances. Moving on around, you'll see our luxury hotel on Block C, which is planned as a five-star luxury hotel on the water, which is not uh, available downtown right now. The rest of the land area, the pink area, is public realm. It'll be open 24-7. We committed to 70% of the land area being public realm. We've actually now exceeded that. It was a, a stretch to commit to 70%, but we're actually started pushing between 72 and 73%. And I'll show you some images as we go through. On the water side, um, Tuna Harbor is now primarily and has always been commercial fishing. We had a lot more transient boating and uh, recreational slips. 
But in listening to the community and to the port commission, that's been reduced to a fairly minimal amount now in the corner marina. You'll see that we have about 40 slips there. But the rest of the waterside development has been cut back. Um, it was felt by the commission and public feedback that we wanted a lot more blue water views. This is a view back from our revisioned Rocco Park of the project. We've really tried to create a composition of buildings that do create view corridors uh, to the water from this downtown buildings, but also enhance those views at the ground level uh, from Ketna and from uh, Pacific Coast Highway. We feel the project offers significant benefits to San Diego, not only a transformational project for downtown. I mentioned the public education, which is not available downtown. San Diego Unified and Scripps are very excited about this. It'll be offered to kids from statewide, not only San Diego Unified. So I think this opportunity to provide training in jobs on the water is gonna be very significant for our community. Obviously the increased public open space, which is really needed in San Diego. Uh, a sustainable and resilient project. I'll talk more about the infrastructure, but we are targeting net zero, which is a very aspirational goal here, but we believe this may be one of the very first mega projects, if not in the country, definitely in California, that's gonna be net zero, both through construction and long-term operations. Obviously accessibility for all, uh, we'll go through the fiscal and economic benefits and then setting up San Diego as a destination. And I'll let Julie maybe talk to that for a minute. Julie? Sure. Thanks so much, Gaff. Uh, Julie Coker with the Tourism Authority. And so the first thing I would say is our mission uh, is to bring uh, visitor demand to the destination. So we are the organization that is responsible for bringing visitors to our destination, whether it be for meetings, convention leisure or international. And so our voice and our um, focus is always going to be on advocating on behalf of the customer and whether that's a leisure customer or, or a meeting planner. So having said that, we are extremely excited uh, about the Seaports um, project and its ability really to enhance our destination. I arrived in San Diego in June of 2020 and so I would say that I'm just now uh, getting the job that I actually applied for uh, because we are a busy destination with demand visitors. And what I would say is um, to see in the next few slides, just really the outstanding vision in terms of how our waterfront can benefit from a public access and really um, provide more attractions for visitors. Um, I, one, I think it's a much needed project. Uh, not only do I work downtown, but I also live downtown. So having an investment in that downtown waterfront is extremely important. The other thing that we like about the project is the fact of um, that there are multi-levels in terms of budgets for folks to stay um, as, as Gaff talked about. And so having a price point for families or single travelers or, or the more wealthier traveler definitely appeals to us. Um, I, I think it's also something that we see as a demand generator uh, for bringing travelers to the region. And I don't have to remind this group uh, in fiscal year 2019, you know, our TOT tax was 295 million. So being able to grow that demand is going to be extremely important. 
The other thing is, as we're doing visitor sentiment studies, we are hearing from visitors that they love San Diego. However, they're always asking what's new. And so anytime we are approached with that, um, we are a little bit um, uh, gun shy, or if you will, or, or hesitant is probably a much better word uh, in regards to what's new. And so having a project like this on the horizon really does um, speak to that need. And then the other thing that I would say is that we're finding with leisure travelers, they are really looking to explore unique experiences. Um, and so this project speaks to that. And then the other thing I would say is that I think the project is really designed with just a really great mix of things to see and do from the observation tower to the aquarium. And I also like the entertainment center and with that partnership with AEG. So it, it really does um, drive shops and restaurants and, and how our visitors can interact with the space. Um, I also like the public access. Um, you know, that's extremely important. It's a, it's a, big component of what California is known for and San Diego in particular. So the boardwalk and, and the promenade and, and the urban beach are definitely something that folks would come to visit San Diego um, for. Um, you know, I, I think it's, I cannot underscore enough that it is important, especially as we come out of COVID, that visitors are looking for new things in San Diego. Um, certainly, we have great weather, uh, and obviously, we've got great hotel products and, and world-class attractions and restaurants, but we are starting to see in some of our surveys, been there, done that. And so the importance of having new projects uh, is going to be extremely important, and it's going to help our team really promote uh, San Diego and more importantly, the region. Thanks, Gaff. Thanks, Judy. Economic impacts are really important for our region. Next slide. The, um, and I'll turn it over to Carol to talk a little bit about jobs and then to Mark about the overall impacts. Thank you. Thank you, Gaff. Um, and thanks for the opportunity to talk about this project and why we're so supportive of it. So I'm Carol. I'm the uh, business manager of San Diego County Building and Construction Trades Council, as I mentioned at the beginning. And this is a transformative project for our region. And it's also not just transformative as an iconic space that it's going to be. It can also be transformative to working families by providing people with income to support themselves and create a better life. So um, for me, jobs are top of mind, but not just any jobs. We're looking for really good jobs, jobs that pay a family sustaining wage with benefits that offer opportunities for growth and training and that treat workers respectfully. And those are my priorities for San Diegans. And those are the types of projects that we get behind. So that's why I was, I'm so excited actually about Seaport San Diego. From the very beginning, this team held discussions with labor about how we can make sure it benefits our local workers. And we're not talking about just a few jobs, we're talking about more than 25,000 on-site construction jobs. And then after the, the project is built, 4,500 um, on-site permanent jobs. And these jobs are located right in the heart of our region, meaning far less out-of-county traffic-ridden commutes that keep workers far away from their families and friends. And most importantly, we know from our long relationship with GAF that we can count on Seaport to work collaboratively with us. Um, the developer has systems in place to prioritize businesses that hire local workers and that are owned by women, minorities, and veterans, and all the types of folks that we want to see um, uplifted and empowered um, in our economy. So 
I strongly support Seaport San Diego and believe it's a model for other projects and how to engage the community. And I um, can't say more about it than that. It's it's really been exceptional, the process for us working with them and partnering with them since the start. I'll, I'll hand over to Mark. Mark, do you want to touch on the economic impact? Yes, thanks, Gap. And, and again, thank, thanks, everyone. I, I just want to kind of reiterate a little bit of what both Carol and Julie said and always kind of make sure that we're rounding that out. I mean, Julie and Carol and I represent different elements of the same economy. And as a region, we really have to be focusing holistically on that. And I do think that this particular project, as Carol had stated, has taken a really, really mindful look. It's what was there already. And if you look down at this particular part of our waterfront, there has been a small amount of retail jobs down there. There have been some tourism jobs down there. There was a fishing industry that's gone through some significant changes. And, and Gap and his team have met with all of them, all those folks over and over. And, and we have an opportunity now to, in hearing from those segments of our economy, think about what they should look like going forward. Think about what the new retail jobs could look like. Think about what the new tourism jobs should look like. Think about what a new fishing industry, commercial fishing industry for San Diego can feel like and look like for those who have been working down there. But in addition to that, I mean, you see on the screen right in front of you, there is an enormous amount of tax opportunity for the city of San Diego that comes from a project like this. But for, for me personally, going back to what, what Carol said, it's creating the kind of jobs right now in San Diego that will help people live and thrive here. Those construction jobs that she talked about, those, those are the jobs that we need, not just short term on this project, but in multiple projects across the county. In an approach where we're thinking about people having the right kind of benefits, having an opportunity to work in the region, having an opportunity to make a sustainable and a living wage, but beyond that, um, I look at this and recognize immediately out of the gate what it could mean for small businesses in our community, what the construction would mean for small businesses in our community, women-owned businesses, veteran-owned businesses, minority-owned businesses, what it would mean for local businesses in San Diego County that oftentimes don't get these opportunities because the folks who have been working on this project have thought so mindfully about that. We know that if we can just shift more of the spend that we're seeing on construction projects and long-term projects to our local businesses, it can have a significant impact in growing the kind of jobs that we want to have in the region and helping people have the kind of, of lifestyle that they need. So, so while the, the economic numbers are hard and fast and they're right in front of you and, and, and people have, have run through these to see what the impact would be to the city, I just think that the impact to the broader economy, the impact to our downtown region, the impact to our community is what we have to be thinking about. And, and as, as Carol and Julie said, there's a lot of opportunity here in front of us. Um, we have been listening to the community for a long time to really figure out what the future of this particular part of downtown could look like. And I think the vision that has been put forward uh, is a thoughtful one and, and is a great one. Uh, these are some of our community supporters and partners from the very get-go. We really put a lot of energy and effort into honest, authentic outreach. Um, and it's led to these significant players in our city coming aboard as supporters and partners for us going forward. They're groups that we continue to meet with on a regular basis to make sure that what's being proposed uh, has been pressure tested. We've got feedback on so, you know, whether it's the Maritime Alliance or the Bike Coalition, all of these groups are very much part and parcel of our partnership as we go forward. We, we want to make sure we do this right. It's always been when, 
when Erwin Jacobs agreed to come aboard as one of the lead investors, I said, Erwin, what do you want? He said, just make me proud. And I think about it every morning I get out of bed is I think for me and our legacy and his legacy is to leave something that we can all be proud of. Next slide. So next steps, uh, uh, meeting on November 8th, next Tuesday, it'll mark roughly six years since we were selected. Uh, we've really rigorously followed a public process and prioritized public input. You can't satisfy everyone, but we've really tried to satisfy the majority of people and think about this as a project for all San Diegans, not just people who live downtown, but whether you in Barrio Logan, City Heights, or even Imperial, this project should make sense for you. And in closing, I, we respectfully ask and hope that we'll get the endorsement of your editorial board as we go forward. So with that, I'll turn it over to questions and any feedback. Yeah, I'd love to ask, you kind of touched on it at the end, but obviously the big question is the subsidy. $550 million is um, a lot of money. When the project was first advanced in 2016, there was talk of $150 million subsidy being covered by the costs of the project. And here we are now with a much bigger number. And you know, I'm sure Andrew could tell you, he edits our letters to the editor and, and we all have seen them. There are people saying, why should the public spend any money in that space? Yeah. I guess the question too is why, why should the public spend any money in that space? Yeah. Totally appreciate that question. And I think it is the elephant in the room. And I just want to correct some of the things you said is that we we said there would be no subsidy when we originally proposed and that we had assumed there'd be 150 million of public and private infrastructure. That number is now well over a billion dollars based on everything we have found. Um, so, you know, the, the issue we're dealing with is that the infrastructure costs have gone up very, very significantly. And at this point, we're not asking for anything. And to me, this isn't a subsidy, it's really an investment because it's gonna return huge amounts based on that investment by the city. None of it's for private infrastructure, it's all for public infrastructure. And it's gonna create an engine for our city, as I said earlier, to generate tax increment in you know for many 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 decades into the future maybe forever so um again there's no ask we're very early in the process um the only reason this has come up is that the public infrastructure is way beyond anything we ever imagined and we are still going to be studying that to figure out what it is um, and it's not we're not asking for all the tax increment it's just a small portion of it if any, and that'll be on our project, which but for would not be there. So um, I hope that clarifies some of it. Yeah, a follow-up question, though. I mean, a lot of the money, at a, kind of a two-part question, right? A lot of this money would be spent on addressing climate, the climate emergency, on, stable, as you pointed out, stabilizing the shoreline, on lifting land to counter sea level rise. You know, I guess we can weigh the pros and cons of making that kind of a uh, outlay if if the thing's going to be underwater in a century. But the other part of the investment I want to talk to you about is stuff that has been in the project all along, the urban beach, the walkway, um, you know, that kind of stuff was in the project. And yet the first time we heard of a subsidy, as you just said, when it was positioned initially, there was no talk of a subsidy. 
So, and when Jen Van Grove, a UT reporter, wrote about this in January, super long story, very detailed, got into the, um, you know, um, a pretty good reflection of this whole thing. No talk about subsidy. It was all privately financed by the particulars and by friends and family. You mentioned the Jacobs. Um, so, I guess, A, why is that component going to be paid for potentially by public subsidy? Why can't that be? financed by your project um, and B, talk to us about the, uh, the, uh, the investment, asking the public to contribute to something that could be underwater in hundred years. Yeah, so there's a lot in what you just said. So just to try and uh, take some of the pieces of that, the, the, the components of the public financing needs to be understood. For instance, the public beach is a de minimis piece of that. Um, the major costs are in the shoreline stabilization and in the sea level rise um, elevations and adaptations. So, you know, for us, as I said earlier, that all of this tax increment is going to come within our project boundaries. At least half of it is going to come from self-taxing. So there will be additional, call it taxes or surcharges, put on ticket prices to the aquarium, to the... Um, to the tower admission, to the concert venue. So over half of that's gonna be paid for by people visiting this project. What we are exploring is the the other zero to 300 million that would come out of tax increment that would be a very small piece of the additional increment that this project is ultimately gonna generate. So to me, and I know some people refer to us as subsidy, I don't regard it as a subsidy. I think if this project didn't happen, that money would never be there. So there are st there's still all the money that's going to schools, all the money that's going to other social services from taxes are not being touched. So what we are proposing is a very small sliver of the taxes coming out of this project, which are very significant to deal with this issue. And again, we're not asking for it. We're just suggesting this is on our radar. We think it should be explored. We think it's uh, it's uh, fiscally prudent for us to explore it. No decision's been made. The port, the city, the county are all gonna be involved in that. And I know we're gonna have many, many conversations about it before there's anything finalized. There's been an enormous amount of academic study done of public-private projects that use public funding to advance private goals. And the overwhelming conclusion is that there's no easy metrics available to judge how well they work and how well they can work to know how well they work beforehand. And one of the main reasons is that they often blur the line between legitimate public purposes and for-profit economic activity. So I just wonder how anyone can seriously make the argument that they're sure this will pan out for taxpayers, as opposed to something that creates disproportionate benefit for the developer at the taxpayer's ultimate expense. I mean, uh, do you guys claim that there are hard metrics that you can work with? And if so, I'd like to see a single example from a project of this size across the United States. Yeah, so Chris, I, I would, I would, I'm not the expert in this area. I will tell you, I think we have the national experts in the area, both national and local. So Municap is one of them and Cosmont Associates is the other one. We've looked at many, many precedent projects. Uh, one in our backyard is Petco Park. I think there was a lot of controversy about Petco. But I believe today, if we look back, what would downtown be like without Petco? 
So, you know, I personally believe, and I don't want, we can have a separate discussion on this, that properly done public-private partnerships and properly vetted and validated and pressure tested, I think there are many, many examples that have led to, you know, to not a one-sided equation in all of this. I have a question about something I haven't heard you speak of, and I apologize, I was a few minutes late um, to the meeting today. I'm Laura Castellada, and I mostly handle um, the commentaries. I deal a lot with the commentaries that we receive from, from the community. I haven't heard you speak about the homeless and the unsheltered population, and there seems to be um, a lot of people that are very unhappy with the way downtown San Diego is these days. I used to live there myself. It was a different um, it was a different era, it was a different time. And so I wondered if you have a plan because a lot of those areas that you showed us in the, the sketches um, are prime locations for people to set up tents and to just go there because they have nowhere else to go. So I wondered about that. And also a, a second part of the question is you speak as though you really are trying to make this for everybody. But when you speak about five-star hotels, um, it concerns me that there's only going to be wealthy visitors to San Diego and one sector of the population that's going to be um, able to go there other than to walk or to sit on the beach and have to bring their own cooler because they can't afford a family of five to eat down there. So I'm hoping you can answer a little bit of both of those questions. Yeah, let me start with the last one first, is that we absolutely believe that the site has to address environmental justice and has to be comfortable for everyone. Just before this meeting, we had a meeting with a group called Women's Work. Um, that's a group of, of African-American women who specialize at reaching out into underserved communities to really understand what their needs are, what needs to be done to make the public realm comfortable and really make sure that there's accessibility, whether it's public transportation um, or any other forms of, of access that makes this available to them. So we are going to be embarking on a pretty significant study to make sure that happens. We're talking about distributing free tickets for the attractions to those underserved nonprofits so that this can be open for them and they don't need to be spending a lot of money. We'll be making a lot of uh, activation aspects of this free for everyone. So there will be and have been a lot of energy and effort made to address what you're talking about. It'll be done publicly. I'm hoping you can participate as we go forward. The issue of the something for everyone, this is a big site. I mean, this is probably one of the biggest sites around. And when we say everybody, you know, there is no five-star accommodation downtown. We've taken one small corner of the site for the five-star, for the luxury hotel. It's not, it's going to be under 200 rooms. It's not a big piece of it. We think there should be a place for them on our waterfront. But the rest of it's all going to be there from a hostel where you'll be able to rent a bed for, I don't know, $60, $70 a night in gender-separated rooms. There'll be a micro hotel where the room is less than 150 feet and you'll be able to rent a room at, you know, $160, $170 a night. That's not available downtown. So I believe that'll bring a demographic to this project that heretofore has not been able to get here. So 
we it's a it's a true and honest commitment i will feel we have we will have failed if we don't make this accessible to all and comfortable to all so it's it's a it's a major focus of ours and the homeless situation the homeless situation yeah so you know that's a big subject we could talk about the fact that this is going to be a private project not a public project allows us to make sure that there are um, mechanisms in place to deal with the unsheltered um, community in a sensitive way, not um, you know, not just throw everyone out. And that is something we focused on and are putting a program in place. We're working with some other private projects, mega projects like this in other parts of the country that are dealing with it like Hudson Yards in New York, um, projects in Texas, et cetera. So we will deploy best practices to make sure that's dealt with, but it also needs to be dealt with in the context of the bigger issues downtown. And it's obviously important to us. Um, we can't affect that, but it's, it is an issue. There's no question. It's a, it's a major issue we've got to deal with. Um, on the cost, you know, the cost of the, this project has already increased significantly as we started talking about this. So how can you assure residents that the $550 million in public funds is all that you're going to need in order to bring this project to fruition and that you're not going to have to come back in a year or so saying that we're going to need even more than that? So we haven't asked for $550 million. Uh, we, may, we try to make it abundantly clear that we have run many, many scenarios um, for less, for more, for none. And what we wanted to show just out of an abundance of transparency that this is an issue we're exploring. We didn't want, you know, a year down the road to say, hey, why did you, why have you suddenly brought this up? We wanted to expose and be transparent that we're looking at this. We did not ask for, two, for 550 million. We made it really clear this is one scenario that we wanted to show so that they could see how it broke down. But that amount is again, we said it over and over, it has not been determined, no one's agreed to it. We are in conversations with the city and the port and uh, we expect a very robust continuing conversation about it. And the result will be what comes out of the sausage making at the end. I have no idea what that number is. We have no uh, preconceptions of what it is, but it's definitely one of the tools that should be considered as we go forward. Thank you for clarifying that. I think kind of what I'm trying to get out here is, you know, when we first start talking about this, there's no public funds. Now there is this number and there's clearly a trust issue in the city of San Diego when it comes to these huge projects with the price tag. So like, how are you going to try to overcome that? So Bella, I hope I've been clear that, uh, you know, we've we've been accused of bait and switch, which I don't think is fair. We, in our original proposal, had $150 million for public and private infrastructure. It was our best guess at the time. Through our due diligence, which cost us tens of millions of dollars, we found everything I showed you. We had no idea what we were dealing with. So that number is over a billion dollars right now that has to be dealt with. Whether our project happens or not, it has to be dealt with. So, you know, as I said, this is not... This is probably one of the most complex projects I've ever dealt with in my 45 years, probably one of the most complex in the country right now. 
So to try and you know say, well, you said this, but whatever's happened in the six years is irrelevant, I really don't think is fair. Reality is reality. We're dealing with reality as we go forward. And I think we have to have honest conversations about it to understand the alternatives. One of the issues you'll you're dealing with, obviously, is uh, the property has a certain amount of nostalgia attached to it. Uh, whether that's fabricated nostalgia or not, people think of that as Seaport Village, that quaint little place with the duck pond and the carousel uh, where downtown families can go and just hang out. I'm wondering what, uh, what can you do to convince people that this will be as good or better as the place that they've come to love over all these years? Yeah. Andrew, I have the same nostalgia. I remember taking my kids there when they were when they were babies. Um, we I can I would never tell anyone this will be the same as Seaport is today, but we are really working hard to try and keep it still authentic, the same uh, kind of mementos or attributes that may be remembered, like the carousel. You know, we're making a place for the carousel. We want our streets to be comfortable, to not be overwhelming in terms of its scale, to be indoor-outdoor, to have small stores like we have right now, to be have those small stores be along the water, to have different districts of the retail feel different. So as we're planning it, one of the districts may feel a lot like a seaport side street right now as we go forward. So... You know, we're working to make this comfortable, to have it uh, echo what is there today and not ignore everything. You know, we want to have a duck pond. We've heard people love the duck pond there. We've heard about the carousel. So, you know, Seaport Village right now, honestly, has outlived its useful life. Those buildings look great, but they are held together with duct tape and chewing gum. Those buildings are, are really falling apart. They... They're reaching the end of life and something's got to get done. So we hope we'll be able to create something that the public can enjoy for centuries going forward, but it won't be the same as now. My question is, at what point will you know if there's going to be a public ask for funds? I would say within the next year, as we, as we resolve our financial models and we go through the CEQA process, maybe 18 months, so I think that's uh, going to be a public conversation. It's not going to be behind closed doors. And uh, we look forward to doing that.